The views and opinions expressed on the podcasting couch are solely those of the contributors and do not reflect those of our other guests, sponsors or distributors. Appearances on this podcast should not be viewed as an endorsement of any other guest, past or future. Coming to you via the magic of the internet, it is episode 43 of The Podcasting Couch, a podcast in which I, your host, Chris Carlson, sit down with content creators and discuss their lives, inspirations, methodology, and anything else that may come up during the conversation. My guest this week is Max Cannon, a close personal friend of mine and a filmmaker, owner of White Font Media, a filmmaking company based here in Boise, Idaho. This week, the recording is going to sound a little different than usual because we actually recorded this in studio with both of us in the same location, and that was a learning experience. This week, we discussed the process of filmmaking, technology, and how we interact with it, the plight of the modern content creator, and more. Uh, music this week is provided by Surfing. The song is called Moonlight. Moonlight is the song that inspired my guest to write his new show, Band in Boise. We're going to listen to Moonlight and then jump right into my conversation with Max Cannon. This is The Podcasting Couch. We'll be right back.
was just like, I, I don't know, after, after we had the baby and we, we moved into the new house and I was just like, I so exhausted. Yeah, certainly. That I, I had to take a break for like a month and yeah, I saw a definite drop. Oh yeah, certainly. And it's just one of those things too where there's so much stuff out there that it just becomes, it, it's, it, it becomes like as a, as a viewer, it becomes like overwhelming, but then as like someone that created, you know, you have that awareness of it. Yeah, exactly. And it, it just, so, oh, but I, 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 so I put out this episode where it's like, hey, I had to, I have to take a break. I'm going to be back in like a month. I, mm-hmm. I just, I don't fucking have it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but yeah, we definitely saw a, uh, a little drop in, in regular listenership. Yeah, yeah certainly. There. What do I mean, you don't have to put this on there. I'm just curious. What are your regular numbers? Unless you're not willing to disclose uh, They're that. not great. Yeah, <laughs> no, but that's fine. I think consistency is one of those things in. Yeah, yourself, no, we obviously. average like um like on good episodes, we've had a few episodes. Um and I've told the people who listen to that too, like the uh I had um I had Jessica McAvoy on and she's a uh she's a narrator on the No Sleep podcast. Oh yeah, I listened to that one. I listened to that one. Yeah, I so really I had I had her on and holy shit, their fan base is engaged. Really? So that happens that episode had a pretty big spike, but we didn't really have a lot of people that stayed for the next yeah. one after that. And then, so we had, um, so after I had, Do you have any sort of bump in numbers after that or not at all? Um, another, we had a second one when, um, we had another, uh, narrator from that podcast. Ah, on. I, had, okay. I had Mike Delgadio on, he does, um, he does narration for them. And then he does, uh, booth junkies on, on YouTube, uh, mm-hmm. just like doing some stuff about like explaining how to get the best kind of audio that you yeah, can. Certainly um, real helpful channel. And, um, so we had a pretty decent boost from that one That's as awesome. well. But uh, other than that, I mean, we average like on a good week, like maybe like fifty, yeah, fifty downloads. Um, so it's it's kind of. But I'm trying to learn how to market the show. Certainly, it's one of those things, and it's probably something we'll end up talking about because it's one of my, my big things creating stuff is modern day. There's uh there's almost like this like force like if you're making something that you need to like compromise your integrity you know what mm-hmm. i mean to some degree and be this like social media nuisance or something yes and it's it's a struggle to find that balance where you're putting your stuff out there enough so people know about it but meanwhile you're maintaining that integrity that i think people often feel like this like yeah the only way to do it is to sell your soul <laughs> like, yeah yeah exactly and i've said yeah. this before you know the, the the modern day content creator is not just you know you look at uh conventional media and you've got your guy who's a writer and that's what he does and you've got your guy who's like um, the, the 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 producer, and that's mm-hmm. what he does. And, and but but with with like a lot of uh, today's media in general, it's you are all of those things. Mm-hmm. You are the creator. You are the talent. You're the writer. Yeah. You're the producer. You're the the promoter. And so it's like learning all those little things is is kind of difficult, and I'm I'm trying to figure that out too. Certainly, um, but it's it's one of those things too, when it's something that you keep at like like my thing with uh, with filmmaking too in general is like i i heard this quote that always resonated with me where somebody was like if you start making projects you'll realize pretty quickly on that every person has like 10 or 20 just like not great projects in you or something or where they're like or they're not great on some level of like maybe the content itself maybe the way you put it out there but every time you make that you get that like out of your system Mm -hmm. so like the more you just like make stuff like you can just be like all right it's only gonna get better and better from here right absolutely and i've had um you know i look back at at the show that i used to do um the wick the wire and wick yeah, yeah 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 when i was doing that um and uh it's just yeah the some of the episodes I go back and I re-listen to some of them. I was like, "Ooh, 
that was not good quality there. That was not good, um, like, because that one was scripted. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. So, so they're like essay, more or less? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're basically like, and which I guess I, I was a little early to that boat because mm-hmm. I'm noticing that that's really picking up on like YouTube and stuff. Like, it, seeing a lot more video essays. Yeah, a guy, a guy I listen to, he kind of, what he does is he gravitates between both. And uh, he, every once in a while, will just be like, he'll write an essay about something that he's really into. And they're kind of like interstitial episodes, and that's it's always really interesting to listen to. And then he'll go on to have like a traditional guest and a few questions kind of episode. Yeah, I, I um, I've been listening to like uh, that's kind of one of the things that sometimes. So sometimes I'm just like I can't do any more podcasts today. I have to take a break. From, yeah, and and that's it. Ironically, I'll end up listening to video essays, which are pretty much podcasts. But I mean, that's the thing. I always put YouTube on the background because you know I play a lot of games, and so when I'm playing a game, it's it's always a good moment to be like, nice, let's get caught up on some of this stuff. Or when I'm at work. Right, it's good as well. I'm 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 really excited. I'm finally starting to get back into games. That's awesome. Um, I had to you know because I had to take a break with the with the kiddo. Yeah, certainly. Born. But now she's she's at that age where she's excited about it too. That's cool. So we got um. Well, you've been you're a big Mortal Kombat guy, so you had to forego that to some yeah, extent. Yeah, there were a few that we had to go. Uh, maybe we don't play that one anymore. Yeah, like yeah. I've been wanting to play the new Doom. I guess. It's oh my new gosh, anymore, it's so good. Doom Doom is my favorite first person shooter of this generation. I was I, blown away. I've, by I've Doom. seen I've seen uh, like let's plays of it and stuff, and it oh looks phenomenal. But check I, out check out the soundtrack if you have Mick Gordon, really really good. I'll have to check it. Yeah, out. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's your kind of music too. In I, every have, way. <laughs> I haven't got a chance to uh sit down and play it though because mm-hmm. you know the uh the content is maybe not two-year-old appropriate yeah certainly so um like we've been playing a lot of i just got into smite oh um, okay but it's cool because so we have like this broken controller that and and my controller and so she gets the broken controller so that she can sit and sit down next to dad and and, and play video games and it's it's kind of funny because sometimes she's more excited about video mm-hmm. games than I am. She'll bring me the controller and she'll go, "Daddy, daddy, video games." I'm like, "No, not right now. I just want to I just want to watch TV for a little bit. Yeah. I don't want to play games." Oh my word. I it's funny. That's uh with my girlfriend that's like the opposite. She'll be like, "So you want to watch something?" I'm like, "Yeah, we'll watch something." But deep down <laughs> I'm like, "You know, we could uh pop on a game here or there." <laughs> No, I'm 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 just I've never been you know I'm no good at games. I'm like I'm so so Adam. I've always been so so Adam. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I think everyone's like that. Like multiplayer games, I think give like a skewed perception that everyone's really bad at games. Because I feel like if you ask anyone who plays a multiplayer game, they're like, oh, I always lose, and it's it's different. You know what I mean? It's different, like right. person to person. And I feel like people get so put off by it, but I feel like games are like more accessible than ever right now. Well, I think a big part of it too is online because I mean, if you think back to when we were kids, mm-hmm. you know, you only had to be the best out of like three people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And now yeah, you got to yeah. be the best out of everybody in the world. Certainly. And suddenly you find out you're like, Oh cool. Yeah. I'm killing it on this game on, on, and then you just get your ass handed to you and, and you yep. get humbled down a little bit. Well, sometimes it's like, it, it's, it's more than a humbled. Sometimes it's, it's disheartening and you're like, fuck this. I'm just going to put this down. If you, know. if you ever get a bit, you should play Fortnite with Roger and I, we've been playing Fortnite every once in a while and it's free and it's awesome. I, I downloaded it cause you told me mm-hmm. about that. And, um, <clears throat> I when I when I downloaded it, I, I tried jumping into a couple games, and it's it's definitely a learning curve. It's a little chaotic, and I'm having trouble. It, it, it typically what's interesting about it to me is it starts out really chaotic, mm-hmm. and then there's like this like lull in the middle where it just like you're alone. There's nobody around you for a bit, but right. you just know it's about to like. Oh, I love that game. Fantastic. Well, so I've only like because I played like four or five games of it, mm-hmm. and I've only gotten a gun once. Oh wow! So I oh, don't that, know. That's surprising. I don't know how. It's one of those things you get to lay the land. You got to get your ass handed to you a few times before you can yeah. learn how to dish it right back. 
Well, didn't they kind of like jack that from PUBG? Wasn't that? Fortnite is such an interesting story to me. So Fortnite is a game that I was actually really in on way back in. Uh, well, not really in on, I should say. I So I follow video games very closely. Like, I always have. It's always been something that interests me. Like I'm interested on in a business perspective, and I like the marketing of it. And uh, I want to say the first time I heard about Fortnite was 2012, 2013. And uh, Epic Games, the guys that make Gears of War, and they make the Unreal Engine, which is this really commonly used game engine. They uh, they were like, we have this game Fortnite coming out, and Fortnite is going to be the game that shows off Unreal 4. And it was this game that like they talked about for a really long time, and it never fully came out for a, well, for a while. It didn't fully come out. And then it came out, and it just sucked. Like it, it was like this game mode that you could find in other games, like kind of this horde, like defend your base from like, not quite zombies coming in. Um, and this is a pretty, pretty reductive way of putting it out there. Like someone that's played the game more consistently could, could educate you on that. But it just didn't feel like it just wasn't worth what they were asking for. And then what happened is they put out this PUBG mode, this like 100, and they were like, and that's free. And it's really interesting because they weren't, they were, they were honest about it. Like they, they put a press release and they're like, we're very inspired by PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. And so... We want to make this game mode based upon that. And it you know, it obviously became a big deal because it was free. And Player Unknown, uh, Battlegrounds uh, Blue Hole, the company that makes that, Brandon Green, who was Player Unknown, was like, oh, he was enraged about it. Because um, he already gives money to Epic Games because he developed Player Unknown, I believe, on the Unreal Engine. And when you use a company's engine, which Epic Games owns, you give them a percent. So, so you have a few options with using an engine as you can get it for free. And then when you get royalties, you pay it off to that company. Or you can pay a, pay a flat fee, I think. Sometimes one, they may have foregone gone one for the other, but he in Fortnite or uh, in Player Unknown decided he's going to give Epic this money. He's like, so I'm already giving them money to use my engine. And now they're just taking money potentially from me because I stole my idea. And so that's kind of where he has, I think, this frustration that which, I think is pretty reasonable. Which I can imagine. That's kind of a, a, a bit of a slap in the face. It's like, um, I don't know, I guess like if, if you like made a restaurant or you, 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 you owned a restaurant or something like that. And then the, the landlord opened pretty much the same restaurant mm-hmm. just down the street. But and still paying rent. The argument people make, though, is like Player Knowns Battlegrounds is not exactly like a fully original idea. Like it's it, it almost... Uh, though, like, I think it's funny whenever people use that argument, myself included right now, they can never really back it up with another game that did it quite so well. <laughs> but I think the argument comes from, like, it's not, like, a crazy idea. Like, it's a pretty simple idea. Player Unknowns is a game that runs pretty terribly. It has really bad performance issues. I have an Xbox One X to run it, and it still doesn't run very well. And I don't know. It's Games are a very interesting, interesting market right now. Yeah, and it's it, you know what what bums me out is, and we've talked about this before, how mm. you know now uh, single income and kid, uh, gosh, I have to be like selective, really selective with, and and so what I what I what I've been ended up doing is just um, like waiting for the sales and then uh, buying the games after they've been out for like two years. So I'm like that I'm that nerd who's like, hey, have you guys heard about this? Yeah, we did. We we played it. it. Well, it, so it's interesting to me. I I'm one of those people that are like, yeah, I'm over it a lot because games really interest me as a medium because you can go back and you can watch Raiders of the Lost Ark and it's still as good as it was then. Now, but uh, you go back and you play, I don't know, you go play Bioshock Two, a game that you know people didn't like as much the first, but it was a good game, and you play it now and you're like, this feels bad. Mm-hmm. I'm replaying my fa- one of my favorite games of uh, the last generation, Splinter Cell Blacklist, and I. We got my PS3 out to play it and everything. 
and there are this there's this control setting that just feels archaic and it's killing me and i'm like i love this game but this tiny thing can't play it because games are such an evolving medium and they so quickly become outdated that it's like i play almost every game um at least every triple a game like right as it comes out because i'm like this is it if i don't play this now and enjoy it i may never enjoy this and so i have to be pretty on it that's why i kind of base my career around games to some extent because i'm like I wanted to play games and they were expensive and I was like, if I can get them to send me games for free, like right. let's, let's, let's make that happen. I think, and that's the interesting thing about, um, you know, you, you talk about how they, they age quickly and they mm-hmm. get kind of antiquated really quickly. I think, you know, one of the big, um, cause you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still to this day a big, like I'm a big Pokemon mark. Yeah. yeah. That's what I am. And, um, what I think is interesting is how they, you know, one of the big complaints is that they never really changed the formula, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think that's kind of helped because you can go back and like and fire up like a Game Boy Advance and play one of those old, and they don't really feel that that old, you know. I mean, if you go yeah. all the way back to the first generation, you're gonna definitely feel it. But if you go back to like third generation, you know, it's not that bad. Yeah, and people, it, what I find interesting too is people want to like games. They do. They really want to like new games. And they almost want to like new games in place of the old ones, if that makes sense. Like, they want to dislike the old one because they like the new one so much. And Pokemon's actually a really interesting perspective because, like, people our age really like it. Um, I was always, like, a middle-of-the-road Pokemon guy. I'm like, I didn't... I, 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 mean, I saw the movie in theaters when I was a kid and all that, and I played the old games, but mm-hmm. I never got, like, super into it, though I've played the new ones for review. And it's, it's just been fascinating to me because as we get older we're like you know people our age are like give me more pokemon give me more pokemon and i was like yeah that's not for you like (laughs) it's actually for you know when you loved it when you were eight yeah it's for those kids that they're still (laughs) eight-year-olds like we're like what do you mean they're eight-year-olds like yeah yeah it's like 28 i know i see a lot of the the um the complaints are always like it's not hard enough this game's so simple i wish that they wouldn't hold my hand and i guess that makes sense like yeah because you're not who we're targeting. Exactly. You're and not who we want to buy this game. People just the way the way I feel like people discuss anything in general is they they don't understand that there are objective and subjective things about everything and like and Pokemon is objectively for Nintendo games are objectively for kids nine out of ten times. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And people seem to to miss and I mean there it's one of those things like go see a Pixar movie and you're like this is for kids, but the adults like it too. Like there's a laugh in there for you and I feel like yeah. that's how games are now. Like Yeah, that that makes sense. Um but yeah, it's 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 weird how that. I think um, what my biggest complaint anymore is is that uh, I think they're kind of slow, and that's what yeah certainly is can it can get like a bit of a slog sometimes. There's there's this weird like um, assumption in these games that you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and it's one of these things that I think is reasonable to some extent to assume that like a new player won't know what they're doing, but like games to to some children i think most children that are playing them they're like a second language you know what i mean like i feel like our generation we understand computers really well right because we grew up with them the way like in that developmental stage when you're learning language you're learning computers and we understand them and i feel like kids are like that with games so when nintendo pops a pokemon game with like a really long tutorial in it and it it, it annoys the younger players too but they're trying to cater to them yeah i always like to do this funny thing when so when i play a game um i like to play it and act like I don't know anything. And so when the game says, like, use a left stick to move forward, I'm like, that's, I'm like, I'm going to play, assuming that's all I know right now. And then when the game's like, use the right stick now to move the camera, I'm like, okay, I will do this now. And I like to, like, sometimes you'll die, and you'll be like, you didn't give me any more information than that. Like, <laughs> like and the game will be like, and then after you die a bunch, you know, like, press A to attack or something. You'll be like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like, you play it like that incompetent person, and then you can 
follow the logic of that game design. Right. Well, you say, you know, it's interesting. You say that, like, our generation, like, we grew up with computers mm-hmm. and we grew up with video games and these things are kind of second nature. But mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, we have a tendency to kind of uh, assume that everybody is on a similar level that we're on. I've yeah. met I've met people, you know, I've met people our age. I've met people younger than me, you know, who are absolutely hopeless when it comes to just a, like like so a great example mm-hmm. is at work um you know we have to do uh we have to do data entry in this on this program called AS400 and um if we have to go to a different computer to sit down cuz we got like a desk share or something from the day shift sitting down um sometimes AS400 won't be on the computer and they don't trust us with the ability to just go into the C drive and Figure find the short. So they have it like written down for, for the leads um, in charge, but, but they don't let us have it. And I assume that's because they think someone's going to go into system 32 and delete. something. <laughs> so I mean, that is, and that is worth protecting. I, well, I think the other thing though, is like there's this gap in between where like our generation understands computers because we grew up with them and whatnot. But the ones that are younger than us though, to some extent they grow up with, those tutorials like i'm saying mm. like they grew up with that so they grew up with like like i know you're a big android guy and uh and so like i'm a big apple guy so i, I really like their, their stuff but the way apple stuff is it, it makes sense to people like they get a flow and they're able to like navigate stuff really well right and i feel like people take that philosophy they get with using those things and they apply it to other things because like i know i know like the argument for using android stuff which i think makes sense is like if you're more versed in using this stuff like you'll want to use it because you can you can make it your, your own and you can go in and you can modify deep system settings on a way that you couldn't on another program and you have that knowledge and so you're able to do that but i think most people don't right and so they know computers really well because they know what a computer is like taught them to know well yeah, and i think sense. we know computers because we grew up having to go into like system files and messing with stuff and yeah and i think i think that makes sense i think you know you look at um and that's where uh ironically kind of the reason why i'll never buy like a samsung device for instance is because of things like their touch whiz. the ui feels very handhold mm, okay and and so it it is definitely it's like it's a it's a ui that is that is like for everybody mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if if you are one of those people who's kind of more more versed in in what you're doing mm-hmm. it it feels very infantilizing i guess yeah, yeah i understand so that i stay away from that but um but yeah that makes sense um yeah i it's funny i jumped on the apple train like immediately because i was like you know it's one of those things where like it's going to be it's going to be a pain to switch one day if i want to switch to something and right. i'm like i just need to commit with one of these now and so there we go. I jumped onto Android because um, actually there were two reasons why I jumped on. So the first reason that I jumped on Android, you know, my, my mom was very uh, work ethic oriented. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said, can I have a phone? And she said, you can have a phone when you get a job and you buy your own mm-hmm. phone. So the first reason that I got Android was because it was cheaper. Yeah. yeah. And the other reason that I got Android was to be um, s- subversive to a certain somebody that you and I both know uh, uh, who's very bought into Apple. That's, that's, um, that's interesting. And so I kind of want, because it, it was very like, you know, that, that was that was the age where it was still kind of early and everybody's like uh, poo-pooing one or the other. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And, certainly. and so it's like, well, this is just as good as anything else. That's and, funny. And now, you know, what, eight, nine years later? That's where you are? Just bought that's into it completely. That's funny. My uh, is I had... You know, I was pretty late to get a phone in high school, I remember, and I um, I had this, like, it looked like a BlackBerry thing for a while, 
And I mean, I liked it, like, it, but I would only use it for texting. I like, didn't have internet or anything on it, but it mm-hmm. looked like it was capable of doing all this stuff. And I remember pretty quickly after I had that phone, I got the phone. I remember Easter because my family, I, I'm, I don't really practice anymore. But my family is Catholic. And so on Easter, we kind of do like a little like, here you go. And uh, my mom gave me my first phone and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I kind of realized the reason she did that was two months later, my sister got her first phone. And my <laughs> sister is four years younger than me. And so I was like, oh, that's why. And so. And so I was like upset about it, but I, I was mostly annoyed. And uh, I remember my mom said to me, she was like, you kept asking for a phone and we didn't believe you had all these friends. So we saw you using it so oh, much. Geez. And so we assumed Madison might. And I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. But I, uh, Madison, after, after that point, I saw that phone and Madison had like a, you know, decent phone. And then, uh, for her birthday the following year she got an iphone and i was i was i remember i came home and my family saw like my reaction they were all like smiling like, he's gonna be so mad and they're like if you want a phone so much you go get it yourself and so i drove to best buy and i remember i called them and they're like what are you doing and i was like oh i need the passcode because i don't want to get a new phone number so what is it and they're like well hold on come home and talk about this i was like no no, no you told me to go get my phone so i'm, I'm get here <laughs> getting my new phone and uh so that's why it was it was a, it was yeah, it was a very uh the way you're saying, like it was to be subversive, mine yeah. was to be a little more combative and rebellious. But yeah, I mean, that make, that's that's funny. I, you know, you tell me, I, I'm so, f- I'm fascinated with your stories of when you were younger. Um, yeah, just because the the dynamic I- I- that you talk about is 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 such an interesting one because mm-hmm. it's you know I, I think we all have our different um our different little like things like you know I all of my like horror stories mm-hmm. are from my mom's ex-husband mm-hmm. and Matt Nathan Nathan oh that's right that's right that's right Matt is your dad yeah dad, Matt's correct? my dad yeah sorry Matt <laughs> but um we uh so so all of my stories are from him um but you know me and my mom have always had a really good relationship certainly yeah um you know the only uh part where it got a little rocky for a minute was um just the typical uh Mexican mother kind of thing oh, okay. Like, okay. no girl's gonna be good enough um, that kind of stuff. So we had a, a little bit of tension there uh, when when we first moved back here, um, but that smoothed over pretty quickly. Um, but other than that, you know, my relationship with my mom has always been a really close one. Yeah, certainly, certainly. But but the relationship with her ex husband it was contentious at best. Yeah, <laughs> I understand that. But yeah, so I just I find those stories really fascinating. I well, I like it's it's very interesting. So my mom and I, when I was growing up, up uh, till when I was about like. 10 or so I should probably even pass that probably like 12 we were very very close because my mom my mom fought with both of my dads a lot uh, my, my my dad and my stepdad my first stepdad and they fought a lot and I kind of had this like thing where my mom was like my mom would tell me like I can confide in you like I can talk to you and I had a lot of pride in that like I really enjoyed that and then I think when I turned 13 or 14 my mom uh started dating Aaron my current or, you know her current husband and my stepdad as well and I I love Aaron. Aaron Aaron's really fantastic but I was I got defensive about that as a kid and I I didn't like become a bully I wouldn't say like I I, I don't ever think I was like particularly cruel but my mom like and I just we just clashed a lot at that point and I felt like it's because I I'd grown distant from her like almost immediately I felt I I definitely felt this like sense of like being replaced and something that I don't think is true but you know as a child you know you don't know how to how to really navigate that and Aaron is Aaron was like fantastic Aaron was really fantastic and I um I I don't know like growing up I, I kind of I really became independent aside from like things with my mom 
And my mom, I think, though, noticed as I was kind of growing apart from her, she took that as like, my mom used to say, like, you used to be fun, like, you used to laugh, and like, you seem like this, like, dour person. And, you know, like, you knew me in high school, I don't think I ever came across, like, is this kind of, like, dour guy, aside no, from, like, yeah. you know, if, like, a specific thing was going on in my life in well, a specific yeah, moment. We all but have. Yeah, but I, but I don't, I don't think on average, I think I was a pretty boisterous, I think obnoxious person in high school to, you know, I'm not, I'm not proud of a lot of those things, but I don't know if I'd say obnoxious. I would, but I would say that about myself, like certainly, but I mean, but I, you know, I think I brought an air around me though and some people enjoyed, but, and so what's very interesting is my mom in recent years, we've, you know, and we fought a lot when I was in college too, fought a lot, a lot. Like I, I didn't want to go to college cause I wanted to pursue film stuff, but I went because that's just what you do. And, I was just having a bad time and my mom didn't like my girlfriend at the time and uh, I was upset about that. And I mean, it turns out she was she was right, but, you know, it was something that just, well, you can't see, you know, it's one of those you can't see the forest from the trees kind of thing in, mm-hmm. that, in that immediate moment. And we, uh, you know, though in recent years though, we've we really both grown, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't talk to my family as much as I should, um, but my mom and I get along very well. I get along with my entire family really well. My sister, you know, I always tell stories about how mean my sister is. Like, yeah. and but she's uh, but she's grown a lot, and I've grown a lot as well. To you know, there were moments though, or you know, Madison would do things that were just so grumpy or mean growing up. That now that I'm older, you know, she would do things genuinely and kindly, and I would misinterpret them as mean just because of our past experience and. Now though, I feel like I'm on better terms with my family than ever. Like, I, it's funny. It's like the more my the more like one aspect of my life comes together, I feel like another one kind of follows it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of how it goes. You know, we had um, with 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 our relationships. Um, you know, like it, it was always like I said, I've always been really close to my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and my mom were not uh were not close for a long time, and you know, um, typical uh mother-in-law wife kind of stuff. <laughs> um. But uh, when we had the baby, just like everything changed, you know, um, when that kind of fell into place, uh, suddenly, you know, we're over at grandma's all the time now. And um, so they got a lot closer and and everybody just kind of the whole family came. And I'm so I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we were when we were starting this business, this photography business, Mm -hmm. if we didn't have that support system um, intact, you know, I don't know how we would have been able to do it. Because, you know, I mean, like trying to find a babysitter on the weekends that's not a lot of money that's yeah. going to watch the kid for, you know, from five o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, until family like too. They're excited to do that stuff. Like exactly. They're looking forward to the opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we get texts all the time where it's like, hey, when are you bringing her back over? When are you bringing her over? And it's like, well, it's, I want to spend some time with my kid too. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I've gotten really close to my grandma in recent years, actually. Really, really close. I see my, I, I actually see my grandma once a week, probably, and her and I hang out. We go on a, we'll, you know, we'll go on a drive or we'll get lunch together, like constantly. And it's, it's just interesting that as you get older, you like, it's the way you like interpret relationships. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That makes sense. Like with that, like there are people like you spend time, like, like, you know, you and I, like we don't talk very often, but I, you know, we're, we're friends for life. It's one of those things because, but we both understand we're like busy. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. and, but we also understand like a, the modern social media, like relationship with people is like, you're never gone from somebody's exactly. life anymore. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think, um, I don't know if you got a chance to see that new Chris Rock special. No, my um, girlfriend said it wasn't very good. I disagree with you. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, I Interesting. thought it was really funny, but he, he touches on exactly that. You know, he says like um, that nobody really misses each other mm-hmm. anymore because you're never gone from someone. They're mm-hmm. always in your pocket, you know, so um, which is also kind of interesting because I'm noticing that sometimes in in like my marriage, you know, where sometimes I'll get home and don't really have anything to talk about mm-hmm. because like, you spent all day talking about yeah, it with each exactly. other already. Like, 
like, and that's what he says in there. He says, I know what happened to you today and you know what happened to me today. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about? Whereas, you know, before, before cell phones were so ubiquitous and stuff, you know, you went to work and you were gone. You didn't exist for like eight to 10 hours and your spouse didn't exist for eight to 10 hours. And so you've got this whole like day to talk about. Oh yeah. Well, what I think is now, I think it, it forces, it forces you to have like a higher level of conversation, if that makes sense. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, because, because, you know, a lot of people on social media are just, some extent, like I don't, I don't really use social media very often. Um, like to like talk about what I'm doing in my life. I'll, right. I'll, if I have a big project, like, like a really big deal, I'll come out and I'll be like, Hey, this is big. Like that's been my big thing lately is I'm like, I need to start talking about what I'm doing more. Cause I just don't like talking about it like mm-hmm. publicly. Um, and so now I'm kind of trying to force that. And I feel like if, if you, if you save those opportunities, like it, it generates that conversation. Right. You know? Let's, let's move over to that. Okay. Um, because we've been, uh, bullshitting for about <laughs> half hour now. <laughs> about no nothing. worries. Um, let's move on to, to some of that. So what are you, what are you, what are you getting into these days? Um, so let's see. So I guess it's probably good to talk about like, you know, being a Boise filmmaker after I went to C of I. I dropped out two years in because I was like, this isn't helping me. Like, I just feel I was like, this is not helping me. And uh, but I did and I did. Uh, I didn't fail a class. But I definitely did batter or batter. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't an English class, but I, I definitely did worse, though, than I would have uh, liked to in that class. And so I went to BSU and I retook it because it was uh, more affordable to get my GPA back up if I ever decided to return to school. Right. And um I was like, I want to get into filmmaking. And, you know, you know, in high school and stuff, I did a lot of, you know, acting to some extent, you know, what, uh, you know, we did our speech and debate stuff and that's what that is to some extent. But I realized, A, I didn't think I was a very good actor. I don't like my own voice, but I don't think anyone does, but no. I, I really dislike my own voice. <laughs> and, um, I was like, well, I want, I still want to pursue filmmaking. So what is like the root of anything you make? I'm like, well, it's story. And I was like, I'm going to be, I want to be the screenwriter in Boise. Like, I want people to look at me and be like, this is the guy that writes scripts. Mm -hmm. And so I spent the, you know, I spent a few years like, just like, like uh, by myself for months or years, just sitting down and watching shows and then reading scripts and watching shows and reading scripts and just doing it back to back to back. Like, I've seen every episode of Always Sunny, probably, I probably watched the whole series six or seven times because... Well, it's just so genius. It's just so well written and you can just learn so much from watching these things that I, I just obsess over it. And so after I was doing that, about four or five years ago, I wrote this script that was, uh, I was calling it Boise Film Project I didn't really know what it was. And it was a TV pilot that was actually about myself. Um, doing so, And I didn't ever think I would like make that one specifically. And I actually tried to shoot the scene or an opening scene, which I'm really proud of and is not actually in the the show that we'll be getting to soon, but I I'm, I kind of keep it in my back pocket because it's the scene I'm, I think it's the scene I'm most proud of to have written, and I um, acted in it and I did pretty poorly, and my uh, I was producing it and directing it to some extent, and it was just like nightmarish. Like actors weren't showing up, locations were being really like well, but they had you know a, a, a time on us, a time constraint. We can't tape things to the walls, which is impossible. We need to put a light somewhere, and like all these restraints and then I went to uh, shoot my second scene in the episode and none of my actors showed up oh, except geez. myself and it was just this just heartbreaking moment with me and my DP friend Ryan Posey who I'm very very close to and you know Ryan and I worked on a lot of stuff throughout the years like we've, we've shot weddings together and we've shot crappy 48 hour films and all this stuff and then Ryan came to me and he was like hey these guys are trying to make a pitch for a like reality show will you help with that and so 
Uh, with him, I ran sound, did B cam, and I co-directed the pitch for HGTV's Boise Voice, which, uh, and then I just PA'd on the pilot, so I just like assisted and did a little stuff with that. And um, now that's actually just finishing up shooting its first season for HGTV right now. It's supposed to replace Fixer Upper, that Chip and Joanna Gaines show. I don't, I don't really follow it very closely, but it's a show. You know, maybe your mom knows. My mom knows. <laughs> yeah, um, I couldn't tell you much about HGTV. I, I couldn't either. But I, I mean, I, could, the, I, I can go, tell you what looks good. I don't go to the doctors that often. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, certainly. <laughs> but uh, and so you know, I did that. And but meanwhile, though, like that other show, that comedy I was writing was just like kicking around the back of my head and i've i actually on my computer i have a folder with over 50 different drafts of the openings or the pilot episode of the show and everyone is very different and you can watch it slowly evolve into this this thing but the best draft i wrote was i sat down uh, with my friend brandon sullivan who you know mm-hmm. and we you know we work together at st luke's we're both anesthesia technicians so we work down in the operating rooms that's our day job and we would just talk about like these potential scenes all the time. Like we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. One day we sat down, we wrote this script out, and you know there's some things that have changed and evolved since then. But we're like, this is the one. Like this is hilarious. Like this is it's good and it makes us points. And we're really proud of it. And so, you know, I spent I spent uh, I sat on that script for a few more years after that. And you know, you send it into uh, the blacklist. It's a really big site for like reviewing stuff like that. And what what they do is the blacklist is a site where you. You put out your project, they uh, or your your script, which is either a feature or a TV pilot. They'll have industry professionals read it, and if you get a high enough score, they host it there. Hmm. So I got a really good score, I got a really good review, um, and nothing really came of it though. So I, you know, I do this thing, which is just part of what you do when you run a festival circuit: is you just send stuff out all the time. And what's really interesting is PlayStation uh, hosted this thing called the well, this production company called Ideas United hosted a PlayStation competition called the PlayStation Emerging Filmmakers Program where you could submit uh, your pitch for a TV pilot and, uh, you know, and we ended up getting picked up through that was uh, we sent it in. They just took open applications from anybody. Right. And uh, I sent it in, did really well with that. And then um, it, we got into the top 50. And when we got in the top 50, that door cracked open. And I'm like, once we I'm like, I refuse to like stop this. If it like, I can't let, I, I can't let this fall apart. This needs to be successful. And so what I did was I, I made an intro sequence and I shot it with um, my buddy Ryan again. And I, uh, I made, uh, I had logos designed and I had graphics uh, made and I had these, uh, I had my, you know, my whole entire season mapped out. All these characters had these images and I was like, this is good. And every day, cause you can update your pitch the way the site worked and you can update your pitch, add a piece to it, add a piece to it, a piece to it. And then we got into the top 10 and uh, the top 10 goes down to LA to go pitch your thing for PlayStation um, and some uh, other executives and it was really fun because when we got into it when i when i got into the 10 so i've been trying to get brandon to drop out of college for years and work <laughs> on stuff well he, he was going to college for a while and kind of going through the grind and and uh i've been like trying to get him to work on this stuff with me like let's let's do this all the time right and so when we got in the 10 i went to his or, or into the 50s so i went to his house and i said or his, and i was like I was like, this is it. Like, I can... Because though he helped me with that draft, like, I was still the one, like, kind of helming the show, you know what I mean? And it was my thing I sent in. But uh, he made that script. He, with uh, you know, with me, made that script what it is now. And so I said, you can do this with me or not. Like, I can bring one person in on this. Like, are you coming or not? And he was like, yeah, I'm coming. And so then we worked hard. We got into the tent. We did our pitch and went really well. And I remember Brandon and I both have this very... Well, especially me, I have this very, very close thing with PlayStation. I've loved PlayStation my whole life. Like, it's been a... Com- it's been, like, the one brand that I, like... 
I really respect in terms of the content they make. And I've even followed their TV scene very close. I remember in high school they made a reality show, which was terrible, and called The Tester, <laughs> um, where people as a reality show competed to be a video game tester, which is not a glamorous job. So yeah. very interesting. But uh, it's it, it was we got this uh, list in front of us. So they're like, here are the people you're going to see over the week. You're in L.A. doing your pitch at the Roosevelt Hotel, you know, right, you know, right downtown. And uh, well, not downtown, but you know, I mean, like right in the heart of Hollywood down there. Right. And uh, we have this list of the people and they're like, you're going to meet the creators of Superstore, a writer from How I Met Your Mother, um, Marco, Marco Ramirez, who is uh, the creator of Defenders and worked on Daredevil. Like you're going to work with these people and uh, Jack McBrayer is going to be there and give speeches and like talk to you guys and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's that's, that's, neat. that's neat. And they're like, oh, also Sean Layden's going to be there. And Sean Layden is the president of PlayStation. I was like, oh, my God, Sean Layden is going to be. I flipped out. I love I was like, no, no. And like, I I couldn't believe it. And so we did our pitch. It went really well. And we ended up getting picked up. We were five shows got picked up. We were the only comedy. And so um, now the show, I can't get, I can't give too much detail because I, I like to talk about like like when I'm talking one on one, I like to talk about what I'm doing, but I I'm be pretty open, but I can't anymore now. So I have all right. these non-disclosure agreements. But the base of our show is uh, it was pitched as called Made in Boise, though we have to change the title because there's a, a series of documentaries called um, Made, and there was an episode called In Boise, oh. and uh, and I think it's just it's just not a headache not worth having. Like yeah, like I like the title, but it's not like this like amazing like, make or break title. And so we went with Band in Boise. Um, B a n n e d. Uh, my only issue is the phonetic of it, you know. But it's one of those things you you'll read it. I think more than you'll say it out loud. Right. And um, the premise of the show is these two Boise filmmakers named Graham and Elliot. They are fired from the only production company in town, um, which is called Rooney's, and it's a company I kind of base on Amazon because in real life people really want Amazon to come to Boise. I think it's a terrible idea, and so because they're like, well, it'll get all these jobs. I'm like, but it's gonna suck the integrity like right out of the place. Mm-hmm. And so. The idea is they're fired from this company and uh, there's this big festival in town and they're like, we're going to compete in this festival and we're going to win. And when we win, we're going to beat this company because the company is actually making uh, a film that they wrote. And so they're competing against this big old company. Um, That's really as much of the plot as I can really give up at the moment. But they... um, It's just been this thing that's just evolved from a story about Max and Brandon to Graham and Elliot. And, you know... We went to Atlanta and we shot it a few weeks ago. Um, it's kind of been a headache. I, I, it's, it's funny. I've been, I can, t- I know people are going to get upset that it wasn't actually shot in Boise, um, which is funny though because I spent five or six years trying to do it. And no one here wanted to help me. So now <laughs> that, uh, so you know, if that's if that's the compensation I have to make to go to Atlanta, and I mean, we shot some stuff. Like I came and a DP came to town, and him and I went and shot some, uh, some like establishing stuff, some yeah. composite stuff, like but B-roll and stuff. yeah, exactly. And I think uh, if if we get picked up for the entire season and we air in June on uh, PlayStation, you can watch it on there. Um, we're gonna go do a big premiere in Atlanta at the Terminus Film Festival. Nice. And uh, so yeah, we're at the moment. Brandon and I have our season planned out. We kind of work pretty closely with this director, Jeremy Inman, who. Uh, it's actually funny. You uh, he made he makes these asylum films, like you know, like uh, like Hansel and Gretel, like Suicide Squad. He tells me like they're mockbusters, and he's like they basically have me go in and make them to like fill the gap. Like so, you accidentally buy at the Red Box when you want like oh, S- yeah. Suicide Squad or something like that. You get yeah. Sinister Squad, <laughs> and uh, and it's funny. He wanted these changes to the script that Brandon were really apprehensive about at first, and I realized though. The changes were so he could see more of himself in our lead character. And they weren't big changes, but it's one of those things like I get, I, you know, I've been very, that script is me. And so yeah. I get very defensive about some of those changes. And, and, uh, but, you know, after like sitting down and talking with him, like I realized that those are all changes for the better. And I feel like our script is really good. Our production 
went amazing. It was it went so well. I was really happy with uh our our the performances we got were stellar. I'm really excited to see how that turns out. And um, what's really cool is our lead. His name is Gwydion. He plays Graham, who's a character based on myself. And uh, you you may know him. He's one of the. I mean, you probably don't know him, but he is one of the characters in uh, Too Many Cooks. He was in that. Oh video. yeah, yeah. And it's really funny is there's this Facebook video of Brandon and I watching Too Many Cooks in 2014 on Facebook, and. Uh, we just think it's funny as I was like, we were watching a star and we didn't even know it like, uh, <laughs> like four years before. But, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really excited for it. It's, I, I have a, you know, we don't know if we're going to get picked up yet for the rest of the season, but you know, two, two pitches in so far, two successful pitches, both Boise based. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really cool to kind of see shows start evolving out of this kind of stuff. Yeah. That's exciting. I, I, I'm, I'm curious how, um, what your experience has been with, because you said that you're still working out at the hospital. Yeah. Yep. Um, what What has your experience been, just in, in, in general, like with, with this specific, but in the general scope of, of shooting things and, and trying to create things, what, what your experience has been with trying to juggle kind of like full-time employment and this, this so, thing that is, I can imagine, pretty time demanding. So I have three jobs technically. So first I work at St. Luke's as an anesthesia technician, a job I got because Brandon was in the position. Uh, he's actually my supervisor. And so Brandon, Brandon's the one that, that's telling me what to do all the time there. And uh, it's, you know, I I started out doing a uh, 40 hours a week, you know, not and I didn't do that very long um, because I wanted to start working on film stuff on the side. But obviously, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, I play a lot of games. Like I, I, I just do and I like talking about them. And for a long time, my dream job was to work at IGN. I want to work at IGN.com because I really... People like to hate IGN. Um, I think, you know, sometimes I have issues, maybe a specific writer or something. But I, as a whole, I think they're fantastic. And I think they have some very, very smart and capable writers there. And that was always my dream to work there. And so I was like, well, I need to start reviewing games and discussing games in a more professional manner. And so I did a blog for about a month where I was like, every day I'm going to write some article about a game. Which is like, what is a beta and how do people understand that? Why are games graphically downgraded? Because people like to hate when a game looks worse than it is, but people don't understand that process. And that's just, yeah. it's, it's unfortunate, but it's how things work. And, and so I'd write these articles. And then I started working for this site that was called 8-Bit Chimp. And I did that. I was, I was pretty bad about that, too, because I was working on my show. And they kind of actually had to let me go at one point because I wasn't writing consistently enough. And they specifically said, like, well, we hope your show goes well. You know, but I can tell not thinking it would become anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I, I don't begrudge them for that. Like, that was the right call for them to make. And I, even when they said that, I said, I understand. Like, I would have fired me a while ago. <laughs> and uh, But then I got this job on this site, which I work for now. Uh, it's called Kids World with a Z. K-I-D-Z World. And, um, you know, and I, what happens is uh, I'll write two articles a week. I do a video every Thursday night uh, for Friday morning. And then I write uh, game reviews whenever they come in. And I, as I started doing more of that, you know, like, I also write, like, though it's a site geared towards kids, I'll still write stuff that's a little higher end. And it's funny, I used to say, and I still sometimes say but I'm trying to shake it, I used to say, like, yeah, I kind of put my pride on the shelf working for this site. But I realized, like, it's not something, I'm actually pretty proud to, like, be working for this. It's something I do consistently, you know, it puts, you know, it gives, it, it gives me a decent paycheck on the side and... I'm able to like do something with making games, but I or, or with uh, discussing games. But I realized it came to this point where like I was watching IGN content and doing this kids world stuff, and I realized I didn't have the passion for it I thought I did. And I because it came down to this one thing I said to myself. I said, "Do I want to critique or create?" And right. I was like, "I don't want to. I don't want." And like I, I feel like my critiques over the years have helped me as a writer because I'm very I'm a very very critical person when I read screenplays or watch movies. Um, 
and that helps me as a writer. In some ways, it hurts me because it takes me a long time to write a project. Mm-hmm. But when I do, when I finish it, I feel like it's something I'm very proud of. Right. And uh, but it was this moment where like I still work for Kids World and I still you know put the work in. And they're m- my boss is really kind to me. My boss's name is Jordan, and she's she's really really kind to me. Um, one thing that's that's actually pretty funny. I think I think you'll get a laugh out of this is uh so my boss her name is uh, Jordan Achilles. And uh, Kids World is a Canadian-based company, so I get like every you know once in a while I get a Canadian check in the mail to go deposit, and it's it's already converted U.S. for me. But yeah, I um I saw it on Reddit at one point because my boss's name is James and uh, James Achilles, and people thought it was a um it was an alias for James Alphontus, <laughs> and uh, you know like the whole PizzaGate thing. Yeah. And so people were like, "Kids World's this PizzaGate thing," and oh, I was, Jesus and I was like, "Oh no!" I was like, "Oh no!" I was like, "I hope this." I was like, "This can't come back to me in yeah, some way." Yeah, yeah. They're like, and it, "Look for all the writers." Well, but it was pretty funny because one guy tried to like make it trend on there, and everyone around him was like, mm, "You're reaching here. <laughs> You're reaching here, buddy." That's that's surprising, and and the reason why that's surprising is because I I feel like to to buy into. Pizzagate in the first place is to already accept like a wide number of crazy fucking things, and and so it, it, it just just to to do just that one more step and like I don't know about that one. I feel like at, at that point you kind of I, I guess you lose the right to be doubtful. Well, uh, well, my perspective, like I think, uh, like there are there are legitimately valid things that people can see within that. Like I think there are inconsistencies. I think sometimes people people crank those inconsistencies to a ten. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's one of those things where, like, with this, I'm not willing to say what what is accused is actually happening, but I am willing to say that there's there's something that we don't have the entire picture of. Well, of course. If that makes sense. And so I think people crank it up to eleven sometimes yeah. and and get really in on that. But I and I think that sometimes it may be. I mean, it's it's definitely misguided, but I think um, I think it's obviously when it becomes dangerous to people and people are, are dying. I think it's healthy to ask questions, but when somebody you know comes in with a gun and exactly. potentially attacks a place, but it's one of those things too that the people that are um, the people that are on on the side that something's going on with this PizzaGate, they're opposed to that guy. Like they're very open about it. Like they're like, yeah, that guy's not on our team. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's one of those things that I understand. Like it's. I've I've been in recent years, and this this ties into my screenwriting really well because, like I said in Boise, I was like, I need to, I want to be known as a screenwriter, mm-hmm. and I realized like the biggest thing to know about that is is awareness of your surroundings and learn how to communicate. And so, like while I may not I may not buy into all that stuff, I I get to a point where I understand what they're saying because as you're writing characters, you need to understand what people would do that aren't you. Right. And so, like I agree with some of it, but I think some of it there is some sound logic to a lot of that stuff. I don't think there's sound logic to all of it and i think it's funny it's one of those things where like where like other people take it down as a whole i mean like the vocal the vocal minority takes down this majority that has i think actually thought out a lot of the stuff that they're talking about well i think with with a lot of these conspiracies and and conspiracies in general you know you see um it it, it's like the steps leading up to the conclusion Mm -hmm. a lot of times you can go yeah okay Mm -hmm. okay Okay, like you know, I, I look at um, you know, I've 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 looked pretty deep into um, like nine uh, eleven truthers, mm-hmm, certainly, instance, certainly, you know, and it's like, is it weird that Dick Cheney was in charge of the Air Force that day? A little bit. Is it is it weird that they were running way more um, way more 
like uh, exercises, test exercises, than they normally do on that particular day. Yeah, that's a little strange. I mean, within that month, the the Bush family had a business transaction with Bin Laden's. Right, but does all of that mean that the government blew up the towers? I don't buy into that. Certainly, but but so it's interesting how you can it it, it it's just that. That last step of deciding if you want to take all of this information and decide therefore X mm-hmm. or 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 not, you know. Um, I, that's my thing is I don't I don't think it's cut and dry, but I think it's reasonable to ask those questions. You know what I mean? Right. Like I I think asking questions that make you uncomfortable is really important. Like I I think I mean I think that's that's what like being an artist is all about is asking questions that make you uncomfortable and therefore make other people uncomfortable to right. some degree. But like I have I actually had this just obsession obsession the last handful of years over being uncomfortable i love being uncomfortable i love it like there's something about that that just like resonates with me and it comes to asking those questions that like like where i don't agree with something but i'm like i'm gonna convince myself i believe this thing to understand whether that person feels and then you know at the end you can distance yourself from it and come to your own conclusions but it's one of those things that like i think it's dangerous the world we live in now is people shouldn't be asking questions and that always concerns me like even if people asking crazy questions i think people should be allowed to ask crazy questions depending on who they are you know what i mean yeah i think we agree to an extent i think that there where where we might find like a a bit of contention Mm -hmm. is uh within the um I, i guess or maybe not even the the realm of what is uh where where does uh inquiry and responsibility mm-hmm. where do they intersect you know because you know look you look at li- like you'd mentioned with the mm-hmm. with the pizzagate thing for instance you know you've got someone like and of course you know any i, I would hope anybody who listens to the show knows that he's a fucking crackpot mm-hmm. but you've got like alex jones yeah, yeah, certainly you know pushing this stuff and that leads to like you said someone showing up to the place with a gun so the question is like where where does that line of responsibility well, fall? You I, know? I think it's one of these things where like you can buy into all that stuff without buying into Alex Jones. They're right. not mutually exclusive. Like I think people assume that you, like, um, so my uh, like a very 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 close friend of mine is you know he's, he's he's a conspiracy theorist, and I think I believe almost everything he says, but he fucking hates Alex Jones. He's like, you make <laughs> us look like a bunch of assholes, like a bunch of incompetent morons, and these people are willing to have intelligent conversation and like, mm-hmm. because like it's funny like when when we have these discussions, he'll be like. You know, like I had a time where I didn't under I I was like that. I thought these things were insane. And I thought they were crazy, and now I believe them and I understand. So, like when somebody doesn't want to get on board or something like that, he's like, "That's fine." He's like, "That makes sense to me because I wouldn't want to like." There's a point in my life when I wouldn't want to be like that. He's like, and so people like Alex Jones come on and just yell at people and berate people for not understanding something, or like. Because it's funny, Alex Jones in his younger years actually like was respected. And actually, uh, have you ever seen his uh, documentary about the Bohemian Grove? Uh, no, but I've heard about. I mean, because he was on. Um, it, it's interesting because uh, he was on uh, Joe Rogan's show, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Joe Rogan talks about like a completely different person. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, than than what you see exactly, yeah. and it's insane because if you watch that documentary. He, I mean, he still has, like, at the core, he still is who he is, but he's not, like, quite as fear back then because you're seeing footage of, like, insane stuff, and he's like, this is happening, like, right in front of me. And it's one of those things where I think his problem is kind of what you said, where I think he uh, takes in literally everything, mm-hmm. and he just, like, he, I think he's seen so many crazy things that he's willing to believe everything, you know what I mean? Well, that's like, And I think it made him somebody that I just don't trust at all Yeah, that's now. like when he, when he got in trouble with... Uh, oh, and he made up the thing Chobani. that he's like, I'm a character? No, oh, no, no, oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Where <laughs> he said that they were hiring uh, illegal, or what was it, they were hiring refugees, and uh, that, that refugees had AIDS, 
And so yeah. like what was it like the yogurt would give you AIDS <laughs> and and then had to come out and make an apology for that. And I think, um, you know, every time that a, a news or it, it's a weird balance, too, because every time that a news organization has to and I don't want to call him a news organization necessarily. Certainly. But, it's more punditry. To, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But anytime that any of these like media, I, I guess any any media has to put out like a retraction. Certainly. It, it is simultaneously, I think, a hit on credibility and at the same time to a different extent and maybe to a lesser extent, a a um, a note of credibility, maybe not in the Alex Jones. So, see, that that's actually court order. Yeah, certainly. But, that, that's how I actually do see it is. um. So I'll go back to IGN with a very specific example is so. Uh, are you familiar with the game Shadow of the Colossus? Yeah, it's an old PS2 game. Uh, that so that developer or team or Ico. So Team right. Ico is making this game. They made this game, The Last Guardian. It was in development for a very, very, very long time. And IGN reported the story. They're like Last Guardian canceled like four or five years ago, and uh, and within like an hour, it was this apology came up because it was a rumor that they had, and it, but it had been given to them by a source which they didn't disclose. But I I I trust IGN sources because they've been correct and respectable in the past. Yeah. Um, but they were quick to, quick to write that that response, and people were just like, "Of course, IGN, fucking idiots," because everybody likes to hate IGN. Right. Um, and I was like, I was like, you should respect that they came out and they were willing to admit when they were wrong within an hour. Within an hour, they didn't like. And you can read it from this guy, uh, a hilarious name Steve Butts, and he was like, "This," which is actually funny though, because Steve Butts is now gone for a completely awful, unrelated reason that he may have been harassing his coworkers. Oh jeez. Um, yeah, because that's where we live in. But but well, IGN also. Those writers that I like at IGN, they got him out because they love their company enough to go like this guy shouldn't be like he, this is causing right. a problem and, and they got him out. Like I, it's funny that people, you know, like I think we can agree in general the American government kind of fucking sucks. Yeah, but Americans don't suck. Right, like American people are great, and that's what I feel about. You can look at that at companies like you can you can hate the way. You can you can hate something about like Samsung as a company the way they treat people, but you don't have to hate the guy that works at the Samsung store. You don't have to hate the person on the other end of a call center. You can hate CenturyLink, the worst company in the world, I think. <laughs> but you don't have to hate the person on the phone that's just trying to help you. You right. know what I mean? Right. And I think that extends to a lot of these different media outlets. Well, and I think a lot of times, and I'll, I'll talk to CenturyLink specifically. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the times, you know. Uh, even the employees are like, yeah, I agree. Fuck these people. Oh, dude, but I know my Wi-Fi. Uh, my Wi-Fi name is CenturyLink is awful. So when they're going, <laughs> like, is this it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. No, my Wi-Fi link is Wu Tang Land. But no, um, that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, like, like for instance, uh, uh, that's a great example talking about the 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 company's awful, but the people aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my CenturyLink bill um, is twenty dollars a month. Um, I wish mine was twenty dollars a month. Well, you got to do what I did. What I did was I called. You said you're gonna leave. No, oh, that's what I do. No, that's what, that's what I've, I've that's, heard. I should that's say. where. See, and I tell my wife this all the time. You catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, which I think is a weird expression, but it works. Uh-huh. So what what I do is, you know, I'll just call into these companies and I'll say, "Hey, I've been with the company for a long time. I noticed that my bill is going up." Is there any way that we can lower this? How low can we get this? And then they'll be like, well, are you willing to do this? Yeah, sure. Are you willing to sign uh, a, a, a two-year contract? And I'm like, well, what if I move somewhere where it's not covered? Well, then you don't have to do it. But if you move somewhere where it's covered, you have to keep us. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course, because I'm not going to go with fucking Cable One. Yeah, so the data cap nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so I said, yeah, of course, that's totally fine. And so just just all these little things, suddenly my bill goes down to like 20 bucks a month. Dude, so here's the thing. I take I take like pride to that. I like, and this sounds like so like, what was me? But uh, like, I'm benevolent. Look how kind I am. But I, I take pride that I feel like I'm often pretty nice to people when I'm in customer service. Like I, um, a short film I'm working on right now specifically centers around a character that works in that position. 
and that still has got me nowhere. I pay 125 bucks a month for my internet. Jesus and, Christ. Uh, but I have a fast download speed because I need it, but I still don't even get that. I pay for 40 down, like 10 up, which is faster on here, but it's not yeah. fast in the greater United States. And um, the other day, actually, I specifically went on and was like, hey, what can we do about getting this guy a little bit lower? And they're like, oh, we have a thing that, I, that it's... Uh, it's actually 80 bucks a month and you'll get all that. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Let's do it. And the person goes, you're already having this deal. And I'm like, why am I paying 125? And they go, oh, it's for our, our modem and router. I'm like, take it back. What are you, why haven't you, what? And I was like, I was like, that's, that's not the, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I don't want to, we don't have to talk about our, the boring tedium of our, our times talking to CenturyLink, but they, companies like that drive me nuts. But, but it's one of those things that like, I, I guess that's a good transition then to talking about um, my, my current short film that I'm working on. So, um, so I'm right now I'm working on the short film, uh, and it's becoming a nightmare because I'm really trying to get funding for it because I want to treat it well. You know, like I grew up making like dumb films with my friends and videos and stuff and you know, you can get your friends to do stuff for free all the time, but I want to, I want to pay these people. Like I want to pay these people what they're, what they're, what they're deserved. I want my, you know, my buddy Ryan, I've mentioned a bunch who's one of the hardest workers I know. I want him to get paid for being my camera op and I, I want my sound mixer to get paid for that. And, and so I'm trying to get the funding for that. But the, the plot of our, our short film is, um, uh, with, uh, her last weekend of visitation, a, uh, divorced mom, uh, spends money she doesn't have to give her daughter like the weekend of her life. And so, the idea of the film is this mom gets a checkbook in the mail as her daughter comes to stay the last weekend with her before the daughter and dad move out of town. And so the mom is writing these checks that she for money she literally does not have to like go and have this really crazy weekend. And the theme of that film is um, of uh, indifference and what it means to... like I think parents want to just put this memory in their child. Like The opposite of love you know, isn't hate, it's indifference. That's what's always been there to me is... Uh, to not feel passionately the other way, it's to feel no passion at all for somebody. Right. And so the theme of this movie is this mom is like, I'm trying to get this daughter to remember something about me, but the mom doesn't have anything memorable about her to herself. So why would her her daughter kind of see that reciprocated? Right. And so, you know, the film is just ex- I think just explores that theme of just like, is it uh, is it enough to be like to just like tell someone to be interested in you, like to give someone something to make them interested in you, or is it enough to be an interesting person that people are interested in? And the film, you know, I guess I don't want to get away the way that the film concludes, but you know, like that's, that's the message of the film. You know what I mean? Is to like really think of like, it's never too late to start becoming interesting. Yeah. Mm. I, I like that. That sounds like, you know, I, I think, um, and I want to ask you about this too, um, with in, in the world, you know, of, of, I guess not the world of, but today's, sort of media landscape mm-hmm. and how we consume things mm-hmm. today. What has your experience been as far as, um, you know, I know you touched on the PlayStation thing, mm-hmm. but other than that, what, what, what has your experience been as far as like um, methods to, to release these, these, these different projects that you're working um, on? So what's, what's funny is I typically gravitate towards doing these like 48 hour film festivals because they just force you to make something put it out there and, and be interesting and so Boise does a couple of them they do a horror one that I did uh, not this most recent year but I did it last year and then they do like a typical like just one in the summer mm-hmm. and other than that though I don't re- like I don't release a lot of contents um, at the uh, I haven't thus far like I mean I've done a few short films over the years but I I, I haven't gotten to that stage yet where I'm putting all this stuff out because so like I talk a lot about 
integrity and maintaining integrity and being a filmmaker. And I have people that talk to me and they say like, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to put all your stuff on social media. You need to make people go, I need to make, I made three feature films and I'm like, but did you have your heart in every one? Like if you cranked out three feature films in a year, like you're not feeling what you're doing. Right. You're just, you're, you're just making something. You're not making it to make like this short film that I'm talking about. It's, it's, you know, it's about 13 pages long. So it's probably going to be around that, uh, 13 minutes long. And something I think about all the time. I not a minute goes by that I don't think about that film in some capacity because it's a story that really interests me. It uh, has a relation to Greek philosophy and Greek mythology with like the story of uh, Demetria and uh, uh, and um, Persephone, and it has all this stuff that just really interests me and it's something I, I obsess over. And it's because I don't think if you need to make films for yourself, you need to make art for yourself, and enough people will relate to you that you'll they'll want to see it, and so. I kind of feel like I've spent the last, I always say five years is like this time that I've spent and I've spent the last five years hunkered down and just learning. Like, I'm just like, I just got to shut up and learn. Like I don't put out a lot of films yet because it's not, it's not time for me to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to put out a film and tell everybody to watch this. I want to silently put out a film and everyone wants to watch it. I have always even said that my dream is to see a project I've made on Pirate Bay. I would love that. Like that means that I've made something that somebody's willing to steal because they want to see it so badly. And right. obviously, that theft has kind of a lesser connotation now than, you know, walking into the store and downloading a car or whatever. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it has like this. This it would just that just means a world to me. That somebody's like, I want to see what you made, and I'm gonna take it because I, you know, I don't make very much. I like I said, I work three jobs. It's uh, I. You asked earlier about. Um, how I'm able to, to manage it and I only work three days a week at the hospital and right now uh, because I spend the other two or the other two days of my weekdays uh, working on kids world stuff and then I spend the weekends working on film projects and it sometimes feels overwhelming and I don't make very much I, I barely made $17,000 last year and I but it's one of these things like I'm willing to kind of be in the trenches because I feel like that's when I'm getting my best stories right now like I have you know, Brandon and I have another TV show pitch that we're working on right now, um, a, co- a, a comedy that's uh, it's kind of a little more in that kind of always sunny, a little character driven. We have um, I'm, I have a feature right now that I'm working on, and he and I have a short film that we like to turn into a feature. So it's always having these projects in your back pocket, and I feel like because right now I'm not obsessed with how to put those projects out there, how to make sure people see them. I'm obsessed with making them and making sure that they're good. Right. And like like I said, that's why I got into screenwriting was because I was like. That's that's where it all starts. You know, what I mean, that's where it all starts. And you know, I think um, my my biggest thing in terms of my growth was how I approached things. So this goes back to like when I was talking about games. So you know, you know Chase. He's my roommate, and Chase and I we uh, we've been making stuff ever since I was little. And in uh, 2011 or 2012, we made a short film. It was like 20 minutes long, and it's when I acted in. And it was called My Life Movie the Movie. And you know, at the time, I was really proud because it looked good. And it was, yeah. But it had but it had serious problems, and I acted in it. And I realized like those are two things I need to work on. So a, I realized I didn't want to act anymore, so I stopped doing that. Um, and b, I was like, I, I need to get better at writing. And yeah, around that time, Chase had decided to go to film school in New York. He went to NYU, graduated from the Tisch Film School of Arts. Um, and you know, my thoughts, I was like, am I missing out? by not going to film school. And I was like, you know, I, I love Boise. I think Boise is the best. I love Boise. I love everything about that city. It's, it's one of the, just this fantastic city with this arts community that's sometimes I think misguided, but everyone just has this heart there. And it's this, everything there is earned. You know what I mean? And I've kind of based my career thus far around making my own opportunities. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, the Boise Boys thing, um, they actually, from what I hear, they had tried to make that pitch a few times before it came to Ryan and I. They tried like five or six times, and maybe that's hyperbole, but it's just what I've what I've heard. And, you know, anyone could have made it, but we're the ones that made it. Right. And we made it about our town that we love. And anyone could have made this comedy about filmmakers in Boise, but they didn't. You know, we did because that's what we love. Or like, I like video games, and I want to, and I know I'm gonna spend money on them. So I'm like, I'm gonna make a career around that, so I'm getting them, you know, to play and discuss right. for free. Right. And it's about putting yourself in situations where you can make these opportunities for yourself, and like surrounding yourselves in them, and like being aware. Like, you know, we grew, you know, growing up out here in Napa, like people, you know, people would shit on Napa, like when we were growing up. People were like this town sucks. There's nothing to yeah. do here. There's nothing to do. And then you get older, and you realize, like, what would I do if there was something? Like, let's say I am somewhere where there's something to do. I I I I don't know. Like what? I mean, those and you realize it's just your outlook on things. So like all of your opportunities, especially nowadays with like you know the information age, like they're around you and they're within your grasp at any time. And so I think like if you want to be the best at doing something, you can do it. But you need to be willing to put in the work and make yeah. that happen. And uh, it's it's just a process that people I think aren't willing to put in the time, or they're unable to put in the time or energy right. to it. You know what I mean? I, if, I think we get, you know, growing up in, in this uh, small, I guess, kind of a small town. It's not as small as it used to be. But I think growing up in, in, in like, for instance, you're talking about Nampa, I think um, gives a unique perspective where um, you you kind of learn to, like, appreciate these kinds mm-hmm. of things. Because, like, for instance, you know, the uh, with, with my wife, you know, she lived in St. Louis for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot more things to do in St. Louis mm. than Nampa. Um, and so she'd always talk about how, like, oh, there's nothing to do in this town. There's nothing to do here. And and my response is always, you know, you should have seen this place 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll drive by, like, one of the um, – we'll drive by, like, where they have that um, – and this doesn't sound like it's exciting, but <laughs> the, the the Fred Myers and the Staples, uh, just that those huge oh, buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll drive by there, and I'll be like, you know, when we first moved here when Nothing. I was a kid, that was a dirt lot, and and so it's interesting being able to see this this town kind of grow into what it's becoming, and I think you know even. Even to a um, a greater extent, I think Boise oh, certainly. Know, well, is I mean, starting to really. Growing up to the way we saw, I feel like we saw Boise, even though it's not as just like big city. Like we live out in Napa, we live away from the city. You know what I mean? The yeah. city's over there. Yeah. And you know, you'd go to Boise, you'd be like, I'm going to go see an IMAX movie, or I'm going to go to the Discovery Museum, or I'm going to go to the mall that's better than the shitty Nampa Cartridge Mall, yeah. like stuff like that. Like, and it just like seems like this big place. And then when I when I moved there, you know, I was really able to just get like immersed in it. Like I. I love I like I said like I talk about it all the time I love Boise so much like there's just this atmosphere and this vibe when you go downtown you go see a you know you go see a show at the Neurolux you go walk over there maybe you go s- head down to Mulligan's go get a drink or you'll go hit like a Gator Dogs like food cart or something like there's just this atmosphere that you can feel in downtown Boise mm-hmm. that is just it's just you're just unable to capture it anywhere else because Boise also has something that like it kind of it kind of gives other cities a charm but Boise is a very safe city it's it's constantly r- rated within the top 10 of like on the safety indexes of like safest cities in the world right. and, like i you know i live uh, i lived right downtown for a bit but now i live like uh you know like 2 minutes away from downtown like i'm still not even that far and it, I can walk around at night and feel safe all the time, and it's and it's what it makes me feel like I'm able to appreciate that that atmosphere down yeah. there, you know. And it's uh, 
when it goes back to the show and like all that stuff where I'm saying anyone could have done this, what I say is this is, so I have this, this problem with the Idaho film community, like this huge problem where they are constantly trying to be somewhere else. They go, I know a guy in LA or this is how the, you know, like in, in LA on a SAG after set, they'll do it like this or, you know, like, and I'm like, if you so let's say on screen you want to create a New York five, you go oh, I'll pop some black and white, I'll pop some jazz on there, I'll pop some handhold like downtowny shots. Maybe I'll shoot a shot out of a car window as we pass some like buildings. You shoot in L.A. Um, maybe you use some like golden age like hip hop or something over like uh, like kind of like this like goldeny visual as well to like compliment it. And I go, it was this is part of our pitch for our show as well. I go Boise is undefined. We have an aesthetic that we can create on camera that no one has done yet. We are literally sitting here with this just like untapped potential of like showing our city with our own unique lens and people want to shoot it like it's LA or they want to shoot it like it's New York. And I'm like, you're missing the biggest opportunity in the world to create, to show people the, this atmosphere we have here because you're too blind to just like open up and just see it. Just see right. like how great it is because people around here like to be so down on the area, like so down on it. But I just, it's one of these things that like, it's just going to get bigger. It's just going to get bigger and it's just going to get better. So to be like at the frontier like at like the moment like where it all changes to be a pioneer of that is just it's gonna it, it, it's a moment that i feel like i talk about this a lot is like i'm gonna yearn for these days one day where like i'm just like i'm just like struggling to like make it vibe but yeah. i'm making these films in this place i love like it's it's just cultivating that atmosphere cultivating it and realizing what you have and working within your means in the best way possible and it's funny because working within my means is actually what's what's been my big my big change in my screenwriting lately is um so, like I said, I you know I didn't I didn't find myself a great actor, but I and I often would work with people that were they weren't committed to my roles, and so I would write scripts based around bad performances. So I would write um, I'd write a script where the comedy is in how I edit something or how I cut something. So I'm like, that's not on the actor. The actors has to do what I say, like just say a word, and then I can cut and make that funny. Right. And now though that I'm seeing more opportunities, I'm like. I, I just feel like my, my world's expanded and I, this me, like I can I can work with like actors now and I can actually get them to generate like scenes that are long form instead of just cut up things that like make things happen quickly and it's 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 that thing again of working within your means like I mean you're doing your podcast out here and that's a great example that you had you see the shed and you saw it and you went I can record in there boom bingo that you right. you immediately didn't go like I got this piece of shit shed in my backyard you went like <laughs> I have an opportunity sitting in my backyard and absolutely it's, it's one of those things that I just I, I appreciate I love that. You know, yeah, and I think it, it is you've you've always got to be kind of thinking in in that that mindset of you know what can I do with this? Um, you know, I, I'm looking at, for instance, um, uh, I, I'm looking at the the idea of uh, like like I talked about before, and I think you know by the time that this comes out, I think I'll hopefully have the ball rolling on it. But this this concept of this um, that uh, that that YouTube thing that I was telling mm -hmm. you about, yeah, yeah. you know, where um, I think one of the biggest things in 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 content creation is like you said anybody can do this. So why aren't you? But like, why, but I'm doing this. exactly. You know, and and I looked at um you know I was like oh I want for instance the, the, even this podcast you know I'm looking for a good way to find content that's not already established. You know you've got your you've got your Joe Rogans you've got your your Mark Marins mm. um you know these these shows are great to hear long form conversations Certainly. with people who are already high, high level though like you're already, already aware established. Certainly. yeah so they don't necessarily i guess I, I i wouldn't say they don't 
need the promotion mm-hmm. necessarily. Whereas with something like this, you know, it's like I'll stumble upon a podcast who maybe, you know, sometimes I'll get lucky and I'll get someone who already has like a, a very established audience who's mm-hmm. willing to come on here. And that's more of the, the other end where it's kind yeah, of yeah. give and help, take. You help me out a little Certainly. bit. But but then I'll find these other shows that, you know, have like a, a, a couple people or, or no real audience and, and maybe a couple episodes under their belt. Mm-hmm. Why don't you come on? We'll talk about what you want here with the show, and and so lifting I, each other up. It's a you know rising tide raises all boats. Exactly, thing, and that's what I tell everybody. And and this 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 you know that didn't exist or, or wasn't like readily available. Certainly. And so I said, Certainly. well, why don't I fill that gap? And it's the same thing with this YouTube thing that I'm looking at. You know, where I'll look at like some janky, shitty Chinese two dollar LED keyboard mm-hmm. and I'll go, is it any good? And I'll yeah. look it up. Nobody's told me if it's any good or not. So. Why don't I just figure yeah, out if it's no, any good? I, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. I think it fills a, it fills a gap really well. Exactly. And if you're able to fill a gap in a way that you would like to see it personally filled, odds are other people like to see it filled within that exactly. same context. And and that's I think all that we can really strive to do. Yeah, certainly, certainly. It's just making stuff, man. It's my 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 thing too lately has been uh, about success, and it's like you gotta define success on your own parameters. Like you can't have like like. You know, like it's one of those things where, like, if you want to make this thing, like your your podcast, you go, I'm going to be successful at this. I'm going to be successful at making this. And my and like, like in my eyes, for your podcast, it's successful because you wanted to make this stuff and you've done it consistently. You know what I mean? Like you've done it enough that it's become this established like routine amongst yourself and amongst mm-hmm. your peers and people that do it. And that's fantastic. And like that's it's it's willing to like just put in the time and feel comfortable that you feel successful with it. Right. You know what I mean? And that's how I, you know, that's how I feel with, you know, filmmaking too, is it grows and I get more opportunities. Like, yeah. And, and so, um, I think we're, uh, kind of winding down. I, I think I want to end on this positivity. Cool. Um, and so, you know, the, the place where I always like to end things is, uh, just tell listeners kind of the, the, the places where they should go if they want to see anything that you're putting out there or, or be in the loop about what's coming out in the future. Um, okay. So I have, a a website's my production company. It's uh, whitefontmedia.com. Because I always, I always thought it'd be funny if I named my production company White Font. So I've opened a film with a black background. It has to say White Font Presents or <laughs> a White Font Project or something. Um, but uh, Band in Boise, it's going to be coming to the PlayStation Network um, as their first wave of original content that PlayStation is actually making, which is which is really exciting because it's, I, I, you know, you, you knew in high school, place, I was always a PlayStation guy. Always, always, always a PlayStation yeah. guy. So it's surreal that this is, this is what's happening. But, um, uh yeah it's a it's a comedy about about filmmaking and about struggling through like trying to become an artist and mm-hmm. overcoming your own pretentiousness sometimes you know what i mean and and uh so um i believe if you have playstation plus you're able to watch it i wouldn't be surprised if they do something where they're like first episode's free or right something well and at the moment the only the first episode is made so we're uh there are four other shows as well by this production company ideas united so check out for um orthus breakthrough Two Roads and Ann Winters are the other stories as well, and okay. those are all those are all really interesting. I'm 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 excited about all of them, but you know, Band of Boise's it's been a long time coming. It's a very personal story for me, and it's it's funny. I laughed I laughed pretty hard at a lot of things. Um, I um, in town I'm going to be doing a, a potentially a PlayStation will let me. I'm looking to see about discussing production on that uh, at the Treefort Film Festival at the Film Fort section of it, which uh, is in late March, so I'll be doing a panel on that there and discussing Boise filmmaking, I think. And uh yeah, so that'll be good. Look out for that. And that's as it stands, uh, I'm doing a short film as well, which you can probably see that weekend at Mom Short and be garnering funding for that. 
And then uh, hopefully within hopefully next time I talk to you, I'll have the ball rolling on my feature film, Remembering Roman. So. Yeah, and we'll definitely have to uh, link back up when that yeah, when that when that's coming down. So um, yeah, right on. Well, I want to thank you for taking time coming down Most here definitely. and being the the first in studio guest. Yeah, yeah, dude, this is <laughs> rad. This is really rad. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, get it. Get it going a little bit nicer. I had some technical difficulties there at the beginning, eh, but not too bad but at all. We can probably get it Roll man. a little better. Later. All right. Well, all right thank you. That does it for this week's episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on whatever app you are using to listen, so you don't miss a single episode. If you like anything you've heard today, links as always are in the show notes. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, email us at suggestions at thepodcastingcouch.com and we'll reach out. The Podcasting Couch is executive produced by Sirenicide and is completely listener funded. To contribute to the show and to help us bring you new shows every week, visit www.patreon.com slash thepodcastingcouch or click the support tab on thepodcastingcouch.com and become a producer. As always, this is The Podcasting Couch. I'm Chris Carlson. Be decent.